good to be with you, church. We're in the second week of our series on generosity today. Last week, we talked about how giving is a matter of the heart. Giving is a matter of the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, we will always spend our money and we will always spend our resources on the things that our hearts treasure. And so last week we were given the application to go and look at our budget, to go and look at our bank and credit card statements so that we could see the things that our hearts are treasuring. And so how did that go this week? How did that go? And maybe some of us, we haven't done it yet. I strongly encourage you to do it. There's really nothing quite like being able to see so very tangibly and in black and white the things that we're treasuring. And so for Angela and I, if you were to just look at our finances, if you were just purely looking at our finances, you would come to the conclusion that we value our house very much. We value our house very much. The largest expense that went out of our home monthly was towards our mortgage. And you would also come to the conclusion that we value our church very much. A significant portion of our income was given to our church monthly. And you would also come to the conclusion that somebody in our family really loves Whataburger. I mean, (laughs) really loves Whataburger. You don't have to look at Angela and I for too long before figuring out which one. Well, doing that definitely showed us some things. It was really convicting, but you know, it's always convicting whenever we look at all the ways that we're spending our money. It was really convicting for me back in February when I had to preach a message on money, the gospel and money. And you know what I did to ease that conviction? I signed into my bank account and I just added a little bit to my automatic giving so that I could feel better, so that I could ease my conviction. What I did was I made some behavioral modifications, but what I realized was that I didn't address my heart. I realized that when I looked at my credit card statements this time around, I looked at everything and I realized nothing really changed. Yes, we spend a little less here and there so we could give a little more, But in no way could I say that we're really making any sacrifices. In no way could I say that we're really doing without some things so that our family could be generous. I had addressed behaviors, but I didn't address my heart. And when it comes to money, it's always about the heart. There's a way to fix our behaviors without ever addressing our hearts. And what I learned this week is that that's what the heart of greed does. That's what the heart of greed does. It doesn't want to be found out. It doesn't want to be dealt with. And so it'll find subtle ways to be able to hide itself. See, my heart of greed said to me, oh, you're not that bad. Just just add a little bit to your automatic giving and then you'll be okay, right? It's trying to hide itself. It said, okay, I'll make that one concession. You could change that one behavior in your life as long as you don't address the heart. Why? Because greed knows if I address my heart, all of my behaviors will change. Not just one or two behaviors, all of my behaviors will change. And so that's the problem with greed. Greed hides, it's so dangerous, and yet it's so hard to detect. When it comes to greed, when we think about greedy people, well, plenty of other people come to mind, right? Well, so-and-so, that person's greedy. 
Well, but most of the time, for most of us, we would never say that we're greedy. None of us are sitting here in this room thinking, yeah, I'm greedy. We're not thinking that. Well, why is that? Because greed is unlike many other sins in that it has a unique ability to be able to hide and remain undetected in our hearts. It's not like lying or stealing or killing. You know, if you told a lie, you know you've told a lie. You know if you stole something, you know if you've ever killed anybody, right? If I were to ask you, hey, have you ever killed anyone? You wouldn't say, um, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I don't think so. It's not like adultery. You don't sleep with somebody and say, hey, you're not my wife. You don't all of a sudden discover that you've been committing adultery. Either you did or you didn't. You see, all these other sins have a particular action tied to them. But greed is different. It can't be tied down. It's so hard to detect. You see, somebody could be spending a lot of money or another person can be saving a lot of money, but both could be doing it out of greed. Both could be doing it out of their love for money. Two different actions, and yet both could be doing it out of greed. Greed also hides itself by very easily letting you off the hook. By very easily letting you off the hook. You begin to see it, you begin to detect it, but then it does something to let you off the hook. If you fall into temptation by looking at pornography, you're going to feel terrible, you know? Let's say you, you, last night you fell into temptation and looked at pornography and you come to me today and you say, hey, Alim, I need to confess to you that I, I fell into temptation. I looked at pornography last night. I looked at it again. I feel terrible. I don't know why I keep doing it. I, don't, I just don't know what to do. I can't believe I did it after promising that I would never do it again. And what if I were to say to you, that's okay, a lot of people look at pornography. That's okay, a lot of people look at pornography. Would you feel any better? Would you feel any less guilt? Would you feel even justified in your actions? Would you then say, that's right, my accountability partner, he looked at pornography last week. If he could do it, why can't I do it? You would never say that, right? You would never say that, but, but greed is different. You buy something that you know you shouldn't have, you feel a little guilty about it, but then you see your friend, they bought the same thing or something more expensive, and so you feel what? feel better. Conscience is cleared. You're let off the hook. You're let off the hook. You decide you want to buy the new iPhone. Your old one's working fine, but you know, Apple's not doing so well these days, so you want to support them, so you buy the new iPhone. And then you go to class the next day, or you go to work the next day, and you see what? 20 other people who bought the same iPhone. And so you know the question you're not asking? The question you're not asking is, I don't know if I should have spent $200 upgrading my phone when my old one works fine. You're not asking that question. You know what you're not praying? You're not praying, God, is there a better place that I could have given my $200 for your kingdom purposes? We're not praying those things. We're not asking those questions. Why? Because we're surrounded by people who did the same thing. We're surrounded by people who've made the same purchases. You see, many other sins are exposed by community. But greed has a way of being able to hide in community. See, many other sins are exposed in community. If you're a compulsive liar, your community will eventually show you that, right? But greed has a way of being able to hide because you live in community. Because you're surrounded by people who are making the same purchases. And so as we talk about the greed of spending, 
Well, some of us are feeling really good about ourselves because we're saying, well, I don't spend my money like that. I don't spend my money frivolously like that. I don't ever upgrade my phone. I still have a flip phone. It works fine. Well, but that's another way that greed likes to hide. It tells us, hey, you're not greedy. Look at that person over there. Look at the way that they're spending money. That's greedy. You're not greedy, right? That's how it lets us off the hook. As, as soon as we could think of one other person who spends more money, as soon as we could think of one other person who loves money more than you, it, it lets you off the hook. But make no mistake, when we save, we're still purchasing something. When we save, we're still purchasing something. You may not be purchasing stuff, but you're still purchasing something. You're purchasing a sense of safety, right? You're purchasing a sense of security. You're purchasing a sense of power. You may not be greedy for stuff, but you may be greedy for safety. You may be greedy for power. And the way you purchase those things is by making your bank accounts bigger and bigger. Remember the man who built storehouses for himself? His first one wasn't big enough, so he destroyed it, built a new one. He filled it up, and he told his soul, soul, now you can relax. Now you can feel safe. And so do you see the danger of greed? It's so dangerous, and yet it hides. It's so cancerous, and yet it shows itself to be benign. And so how can we detect something that hides so well? How can we detect something that hides so well? We detect it by looking at our giving. We detect it by looking at our giving. We just saw that greed can hide in spending or in saving. Whether you're spending a lot of money or whether you're saving a lot of money, greed can hide. But you know where greed can't hide? It can't hide in giving. It can't hide in giving. The light that exposes the darkness of greed in our hearts is giving. It's generosity. Generosity is the anti-greed. Generosity is the kryptonite to greed. And so when asking the question, am I greedy, you have to use the litmus test. When asking yourself, am I greedy, you have to ask yourself, well, how is my giving? How is my giving? Giving is the litmus test that God offers so that we can detect what's so difficult to detect. The biblical test of giving that God offers us in the Old Testament is the tithe, is the tithe. Tithing is a command that God gave his people in the Old Testament to give a tenth, that's what the tithe means, to give a tenth of everything that God would give you back to God. Well, what's the point of that? It seems like an ineffective system, right? That God would give you something and then ask for a tenth of it back, right? Why would God do it like that? Why doesn't he instead say, you know, I would have given you this much, right? But a tenth, a tithe is really important to me. So I'll just keep it. I'll give you 90% of what I would have given you, and then you could do with the 90% whatever you want. Why not do it that way? It seems much easier. Why does he do it that way? So that we would know. So that we would know it all came from him. God knows it all came from him. But when we tithe, when we give a tenth back, we're saying, God, we know. We know it all came from you. And some of you may be thinking, what do you mean God gave me my money? I work hard for my money. I have a job. I earn my money. But let me ask you, who gave you your brain, your ability to think? Who gave you your skills 
Who gave you your abilities? Who gave you your health to be able to go to work? Who gave you your life? That air you're breathing, who's giving you that? Acts 17, 24 through 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind, what? Life and breath and everything. That the tithing command is this simply put. Do you believe that your income and your money and everything that you have, you have from God? Do you believe that? And many of us would say, say, yes, I believe that. But you know, you can't just ask yourself that and expect an honest answer from your heart. Our hearts are too deceitful. Greed hides too well. You have to use the litmus test. Do you believe that your money and your income and everything that you have, you have because God gave it to you? Well, whether you tithe or not shows what you really believe. Whether you tithe or not shows what you really believe. And so what do you really believe? Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What God tells us in the Old Testament book of Malachi is this, in a very stern but loving way. He's saying, when you don't bring your whole tithe, you're robbing me. You're not bringing to me what belongs to me. You're not believing that everything that you have, you have because I gave it to you, right? You're refusing to believe it. And so he says, put me to the test. I'm not a stingy God who's trying to take things from you. Why do you have what you have? Because I gave it to you. I'm not a stingy God who's trying to take things away from you. I'm a father who wants to give. And parents, you see what's going on here, don't you? As a parent, you have a heart of giving towards your child. You don't want to withhold anything. You want to give them everything, right? But if you look at your child and you see that they're being stingy, If you look at your child and you see that they have a very selfish heart that refuses to share, if you see them fighting with their brothers and sisters over toys, what do you do? You go up to them and you say, I will take it all away. I will take all your toys and put it in the trash. That's that's what you say, right? (laughs) I took my daughter on a Evie took my daughter Evie on a date one day, and her favorite food is noodles. And so we trade back and forth from spaghetti and pho. Pho is a Vietnamese noodle dish. And I say, Evie, you are Asian. You have to eat strange and weird foods. And so, so she did a great job eating pho that day with cow tongue and intestines in it. And uh, just kidding. But one day, one day she will. But she did a great job um, eating pho that day, so I decided to reward her by taking her to Toys R Us. And um, some of you have asked, why do Asian kids eat everything? Because we reward them with toys. And so I took her to Toys R Us and said, you can have anything you want under five, $5. And so, so we start walking around the whole store. She's looking around at everything. And, but she keeps picking Iron Man this and Batman that and saying, can we get this for Malachi? Can we get this for Moses, her, her brothers? And 
And we keep doing this, and we're walking around this whole entire store. I'm just getting tired. And I'm like, Evie, hurry up and pick something so we can get out of here. But she keeps saying, but I want to buy a present for my brothers. And so I'm finally tired of walking around this store. So I say, Evie, you have to pick right now. Do you want a present for yourself or do you want to get a present for your brothers? But you could only have one. You could only pick one. Decide right now what's it going to be. And she says to me, I want a present for my brothers. And so unlike her. <laughs> and so I say, Evie, whatever you want, anything in the store that you want, it could be more than $5. Pick it out, girl. Why did I respond like that? Because I saw the heart of giving. I saw the heart of generosity in my daughter. It brought me so much joy that I wanted to give her everything. That's the heart of the father that's saying, bring your whole tithe. Show me a heart of generosity. Show me a heart of giving. Show me a heart that's like mine. And I will show you how much I want to give to you. I'm not trying to take things away from you. I'm trying to give. I'm trying to bless. And some of you are saying, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. Malachi 3, 8 through 10 doesn't apply to us today, does it? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't apply to us today. The principle that Malachi 3, 8 through 10 is giving us is obey God, right? Obey God, give, and then you will be blessed. Give, and then you will be blessed. The principle is I give, I obey God, and then God will bless me. But is that the principle of the New Testament? Is that the principle of the New Testament? Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us past tense, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And how did we receive such a blessing? We received it in Christ because we earned it? No, because God freely gave in his grace. We received every blessing because of Jesus. And so in the New Testament, when God gave us his son, he's saying, I'm not withholding. I'm giving everything. I'm pouring out every spiritual blessing, not because you've earned it, but because you're my child. I'm your father. I want to give you everything. That's what he's doing. And so in light of this great gospel that says that God is not withholding anything from us, he did not even spare his own son, how should that truth destroy our greed? How should that truth impact our giving? How much should we give? Should we give the same as the Old Testament? Should we tithe and nothing more? Well, what would we be saying if our giving remained the same? We'd be saying that nothing changed in the New Testament. We'd be saying that Jesus changed nothing. Right? Church, Jesus did not tithe on the cross. Jesus did not tithe his blood on the cross. He poured it all out. And so our giving should reflect that precious truth. But instead, many of us would like to argue that tithing is an Old Testament command. Why do we argue that? We like to argue that tithing is an Old Testament command. We argue that so we can give less. Right? We argue it so we can give less. You're right. Tithing is an Old Testament command. And so we should give more. 
Not tithing is an Old Testament command, and so we should give less, but tithing is an Old Testament command, and so we should give more. Or should somehow the revelation of God's generosity in giving us everything, not even sparing his own son, showing that generosity toward us, should that generosity somehow make us a less generous people or more generous? What should that truth do in our hearts? How should it destroy our greed? If our giving was the way that we showed the world what God has done in the New Testament, right now we're telling the world God has given much less, God has done much less in the New Testament than he did in the Old Testament. See, because God's people in the Old Testament, they tithed. It was the absolute standard. But the average American church member today, we give 2.58% of our income. 2.58% of our income, with 25% of the average American church member giving nothing at all. What kind of a gospel are we pointing to? What kind of a gospel are we telling the world of when we give like that? We have to preach a better gospel. We have to preach a better gospel. And so you're asking, okay, so how much should I give? How much do I have to give? But we're still asking the wrong question. The gospel ought to change our question. It should change our question from how much do I have to give into now how much do I dare keep. In light of this great gospel that says God gave us everything, now how much do I dare keep? Or said in another way, the heart of greed asks how much do I have to give? But the heart of generosity says how much do I get to give? How much do I get to give? In light of this great gospel, in light of how much Jesus has given me, how much do I get to give? It's no longer how much do I have to give to missions? How much do I have to give to the church? How much do I have to give to the poor and to the orphans? It's how much do I get to give? How much do I get to give? And so we give to missions. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he had in mind the people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's why we give to missions. The Bible says God blesses us so that we might be a blessing. When God blesses us, he always has in mind the blessing of the nations. That's why we give to missions. We give to, church, we give to the church because Jesus gave his everything to whom? To his bride, the church. We tithe, we bring our first fruits to the church. Why? Because God gave his first fruits, his son, to the church. We give to orphan care because while we were orphans, Jesus came to take us to the Father. You see, in all these ways, in our giving, we're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to the realities of the gospel. Some of us in here, God's calling us to pay off a debt, but not your own debt, somebody else's debt. Why? Because Jesus paid off your debt. He paid off a debt that you can never repay. And so by paying off somebody else's debt, you're showing them, hey, this is what Jesus did for me. So I want to pay off your debt. What if we preach the gospel like that to unbelievers? But many of us were not in a financial position to be able to do something like that. So how about we do this? How about we tip generously at restaurants? How about if we did that? You know, Christians have such a terrible reputation for tipping. Waiters and waitresses, they hate waiting on Sunday lunch crowds. They should be fighting over Sunday lunch crowds, right? 
So for those of you that can, I challenge you to do this. Go and go and go out to eat today, this week, and leave a $50 tip and write a little note on the receipt. I hope this in some small way shows you how much Jesus loves you and wants to know you. What if we start pointing to the gospel like that? But if we want to live a life of radical giving, we can't ever do it on our own. We have to do it in community. Missional communities, remember I said that a lot of times greed hides in community? Well, don't let it hide. Instead, expose it. Expose it. Well, how do we expose it? Expose it by challenging each other to be generous. Challenge each other. Be there for each other. Because when God is calling you to give, right, and not in just some small way where you won't really feel, but if God is really calling you to give, what happens? Well, you get scared, right? You start saying, God, if I really gave that way, well, then there goes my safety net. What if I lose my job? What if, what if I get sick and, and I get a big medical bill? What if my car breaks down? We sense the call of God upon our lives to give in some radical way, but we get scared. And so missional communities take those fears away. How? By being there for one another and saying, hey, to the fullest extent that God's calling you to give, give. And if something happens, we'll be here. We'll meet your needs. We'll provide for you. We got your back. We got you, right? Challenge each other to be able to give to the fullest extent that God's calling you to give by being there for one another, by meeting each other's needs. That's what the early church did. With our giving, we're pointing people to the gospel. With our generosity, we're pointing people to God's generosity and giving us his son. When we give, not just from our excess, but when we give out of selling cars and houses, when we give out of doing without vacations and private schools, when we start giving like that, we're pointing people to someone named Jesus who though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we might by his poverty become rich. We're showing people that Jesus. But some of you are saying, but I'm in debt. I'm in college. I don't have a job. I don't have an income. Church, listen. Our giving doesn't start when we get a job. Our giving starts when we get saved. Our giving starts when we get saved. You are exempt from giving if God gave you nothing. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, God gave me nothing, absolutely nothing, well, feel no call of God upon your life to give. But if he has given you something, if you look at your life and you see all the ways that he's given you and whatever he's given you, your health, your, your life, your apartment, a $20 bill, and whatever he's given you, ask God and ask the community of believers around you, how can I be generous with the things that God has given me so that in my generosity I can point people to God's generosity? In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul tells us about the churches in Macedonia, about the churches in Macedonia. What was happening was that Paul was traveling around and he was raising a collection for the church in Jerusalem because the church in Jerusalem were experiencing extreme suffering and extreme persecution. But the churches in Macedonia, the Bible tells us that they themselves were going through extreme poverty. And so Paul tells us how these Christians in Macedonia did what their response was when they heard the need of the saints in Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For, their, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Verse 2 tells us that when these saints in Macedonia heard about the need of their brothers, two things happened in their hearts. Two things happened in their hearts. First, they felt a severe test of affliction. They felt a severe test of affliction. Why? Because they had such difficulty imagining giving when they themselves were in so much need. So they felt a severe test of affliction. But something else was happening in their hearts. They felt an abundance of joy. Because here, here was an opportunity for them to be able to give, for them to be able to reflect the generosity of God. You see, when God calls us to give, oftentimes when God calls us to give, it will be both the hardest thing in the world and the easiest thing in the world to do. It's always going to be hard because it means that we're going to have to sacrifice. It means that we're going to have to do without some things. It means that we're going to have to kill some idols in our hearts and destroy some things that our hearts treasure. It's always going to be hard. But at the same time, it's going to be so easy. It's going to be so easy because ultimately we're giving to the one who has given us everything, right? And verse 3 tells us that they gave according to their means, but not just that, they went beyond their means. And what does that mean? That means that they didn't just give what they could afford to give, they gave to the point that it truly cost them something. They gave to the point that where they really had to sacrifice something, they gave to the point that it hurt. And if that wasn't enough, Verse 4 tells us something incredible. Paul tells us that they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging Paul to let them give in this way. Why were they begging? Because in verse 5, Paul tells us, this was not as we expected. Paul was saying, no, you don't have to give this much. You yourselves are so poor. You yourselves are so lacking. But they were begging. They were saying, Paul, please let us be able to give this way. We want to participate. We want to show them how much we love them. We want to show them how much Jesus has given to us. Why were they acting this way? Why did they act this way? Why were they so utterly desperate to give? And have you ever been there? Have you ever been so utterly desperate to give? Verse 9 tells us why. Because they knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. You see, Jesus was rich beyond all measure in the heavenlies, but he gave it up. He surrendered it, and he bore upon himself the poverty of the cross. He surrendered it all. And so the church of Macedonians, they, they knew that they were rich. 
right? They didn't think of themselves as poor. They saw themselves as rich. Look at all the things that Jesus has given me. What do you mean I'm poor? They didn't feel poor. They felt rich. They felt full. And so they were able to give. And because Jesus gave to the point that it hurt, they were able to join him in his suffering. And they themselves were able to give to the point that it hurt. You see, Jesus in the New Testament, he changed something. He changed something. In the Old Testament, the tithe was the standard, right? In the Old Testament, the tithe was the standard. But now in the New Testament, the cross is the standard. The cross is the standard. Well, what does that mean? Giving to the point that we actually do without. That's the cross, isn't it? He surrendered the riches of heaven. Giving to the point that it hurts. That's the cross, isn't it? Giving to the point that we're actually sacrificing something, that points to the cross, doesn't it? And when God calls us to give like this, it will be both the hardest thing and the easiest thing that he's ever calling us to do. And so church, this week, let's do this. Let's do this. Last week, we were called to go and look at our books to see the things that we're treasuring. This week, let's do this. Let's get with your husband, get with your wife, get with your roommates, get with your missional community, and ask yourself this question. In what ways can I sacrifice? In what ways can I do without? In what ways can I give even to the point that it hurts? I want you to pray this. Pray this, God. What are you calling me to do so that in my generosity, I can point people to your generosity in giving us your son and giving us the gospel? And church, what would God do with a church that's asking him those questions? Let's pray together. Father, even now we feel it. Even now we feel it, Lord. We feel the difficulty. We feel our hearts even now raising up defenses, even now saying, no, but you're okay. No, but your case is different. Even now, Lord, we feel how hard it's going to be. And so, Father, make us feel how easy it's going to be. Make us feel the generosity of the cross. Make us feel the reality of what you have done for us, that you did not spare your own son. And so how will you not, along with him, graciously give us all things if we need it, if you desire it for us? There's nothing more that you could give, Lord. You already gave us your everything. And so in light of that great truth, make us a generous people. Make us a generous people. Our simple prayer is this. Make our generosity look like your generosity. Make your generosity look like our generosity so that we can show the world the great truth that you have given the world your son. In Jesus' name we pray.